message, I've already said this over the last couple weeks, that God has really been just bringing to fresh new life in me and how very, very powerful it is as you walk through any area of life, any need that you have, any concern that you have, any way that you're feeling like you're in a really difficult time or a storm of life, this tool that we are blessed to have is amazing, amazing. So there are three effects of praise. Now, this is based on an Andrew Womack book, an Andrew Womack teaching called The Effects of Praise that I have been, I just devoured, just devoured. And what I love, guys, when I refer to other teachers of the word, first of all, Holy Spirit um, moves in my heart in a way that either I agree or I say, Mm, that's not for me, for whatever reason. Sometimes, as Pastor Tim used to say, there's pieces or parts that are very, very good and that you receive, and then there are others that maybe don't line up with the word the way that you understand it. So Pastor Tim says, take the good and spit out the rest, right? Anyway, I love Andrew Womack. Most of you know that. In fact, if you're my Facebook friend, I don't know if you saw that I graduated from Karis Bible College Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Um, I got my, my um, licensing and my diploma um, when I got back from Florida. It was in the mail. So I'm very excited about that because he's my favorite Bible teacher. And I, for the most part, not 100%, but for the most part, everything that he teaches, I strongly agree with. And it is in alignment with the Word of God. So when I take teachers and uh, uh, read their, 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 whatever you want to call it, the, their interpretation or their heart and how it connects with the Word of God, I want it to be my revelation, not theirs. And that's what I do. I take the Word. I feed on it. I let it come into my heart. I meditate on it. I seek God about it. And I let his word come in me. I don't want Andrew's word coming through me. I want the word of God coming through me. And that's what I feel is happening with this teaching, this series of teachings. So three effects of praise. The first effect of praise that I talked about two weeks ago is the effect that praise has on God himself. If there were no other reason to praise God, ministering to him, loving him, ministering to God should be reason enough. God created us for his pleasure. He created humanity because he desired children to love. All I can think of is my own son, Kelly and Nathan, you don't know this, but our middle son, um, Adam, and his wife are pregnant. So I'm going to be grandma. Kent and I are going to be grandma and grandpa again. And we are thrilled. But Adam and Mary Ann desired a child. They had a, a desire within them. They were both in their 30s when they got married. And they had this, this, this innate desire, most people do, to conceive and to have a child of their own. And now they are pregnant and they're going to be mom and dad. God himself... We're made in his image. God himself desired fellowship. He desired children. 
anyone who loves, and God loves, God is love, and he loves us beyond our wildest um, ability to understand. Anyone who loves has a need to be loved in return. And when we worship and when we praise him, God is loved. It ministers to him. Something that Andrew spoke in this book that just cut me to the heart, and this is what he said. He said, our time with God, our prayer, our study, whatever we do with God, our service, our praise and worship, our time with God, our first priority should be ministering to him. Everything else pales in comparison. And when he said that, it just cut me to the heart. Because how many of us spend time serving God, um, studying the word in almost a student-like manner, Bible studies, whatever, and I'm sure God doesn't disagree or he's not disappointed with that. But his number one desire is relationship. And when we minister to him, it blesses him. So the first effect of praise and worship is ministering to God. The second effect, and this is what we talked about last week, and this is powerful. The second effect of praise and worship is the effect it has on us, the believer. Wow. The effect that praise has on us. It strengthens us. This is biblical. This isn't just um, uh, experiential, although I have tremendously experienced it. It's biblical. The Bible says that this praise and worship gives us ordained strength. It says that we are perfected as we praise God, that we become completed that we become strengthened. And when we are strengthened as we praise and worship God, the effect of that is that no matter what's going on around us, we will not be crushed. We will not be deflated, discouraged, disappointed, because inside of us, we are, it's supernatural. Nothing we can conjure up. It's supernatural. When we praise God, there's something that just rises up in us and strengthens us. I can vouch for it. You guys, most of you know that I'm going through my own healing journey right now. This is what I do, guys. This is one of the things I'm going to be sharing over the next months, how God has anointed me, yes, blessed me, yes, guided me, carried me, shown me, and proven his faithfulness to me in an amazing way. When I'm in feeling weak, when I'm feeling fear, when I'm feeling symptoms, I go in a private room, just me and God, and we, I worship, I praise him, and I come out a different person than when I walked in. Strengthened, built up, edified. Praising God strengthens you. Praising God puts you in a place of peace. Peace is powerful. Peace isn't the absence of turmoil. That's not what peace is. That's the world's view of peace. But God's view of peace is the presence of him, the presence of Jesus in the midst and overcoming the presence of darkness. That's what peace is. And when you praise God, peace is a result. Because the Bible says when your heart, when your mind is stayed on God, that he will give you his perfect peace. 
And when you're praising, fervently praising one-on-one, your mind has stayed on God. And he gives you that perfect peace. And that peace guards your heart and your mind. And we need that because the battlefield's the mind. The battlefield's the emotions. So there's many, many, many benefits of praise. Another one is, and I'm going to give you one more because I taught this last week, but one more, and that is that it, it positions us correctly. So we see God as he really is, which is our most high God. When we're in that, that, that heart praise, what we're doing is we're seeing God as who he is. We're declaring who he is. Our focus is on who he is. And in the midst, our problem becomes um, what it is, which is small, which is nothing compared to our most high God. I want to give you a picture of that um, because I didn't do this last week, and I believe this is powerful. Um, We visit our children out west a lot. They live in Nevada. And they live in a mountain valley. And all around them, no matter which direction you look, there's mountains. And those mountains, it's the Sierra Nevadas. And those mountains are very big, very tall. In fact, Kent and I were talking about it yesterday. We, they're approximately 10,000 feet tall. They're amazing. Great skiing out there. We're going in February, by the way. We're going to go visit our kids. So when we're there, we see whenever we're at in, in their home, they've got big picture windows, and there's a mountain range. Gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. My grandchildren are six and eight years old now getting old. They're getting big. Cora, my six-year-old, comes about to hear on Grandma. They're tall for their age. Colton comes about to hear on Grandma. He's eight years old. When we're out on the deck playing, whatever, and my little grandkids are right there in front of my face, it appears, perspective-wise, that they're bigger than that mountain range that's eight miles away. But they're not. They're three and a half, four feet tall. The mountain range is 10,000 feet tall. But because my grandkids are in front of my face, it appears that they're taller than the mountains. Guys, that's what we often do with the problems that are so big in our life. We see the magnitude of those problems. And we even do this. I think we make a mistake. We go to God in prayer. And we put that problem right here in front of our face. And God back there somewhere. Like my grandkids in front of the mountain range. And we see that problem is so big when it really isn't. Our perspective is messed up. When we praise and when we worship, our perspective is corrected. We see God as how huge and how great he is. He is the most high God, above every problem, above everything, above everyone, above every single problem and every single person all combined together. He's bigger. And when we praise and worship him and declare that, then our perspective is corrected. We see God as big. We see our problem as nothing compared to our great big God. So that's another benefit. So all of these benefits are for us, the believer. There's way more than that because I taught a whole hour last week. So go listen to last week's. And when you are in a place of feeling discouraged, of feeling afraid, of feeling symptoms or pain, or that doctor's report is screaming in your ear, go and praise God. 
it is a powerful benefit to you as a believer. Today, we're going to talk about the third effect of praising and worshiping. And this is really good news. Praising and worshiping is spiritual warfare. It's powerful spiritual warfare. Praise is the greatest weapon that we have against Satan and his daily onslaught. It literally makes Satan flee in terror when we begin to praise God. We're going to talk about this for the whole next half hour or so. <laughs> you know me better than that. The next 45 minutes or so or more. <laughs> so Satan literally flees. I'm going to give you biblical evidence of that tonight. Now here's the good news. When the enemy's out of the way, then the power of the Holy Spirit, the anointing that we carry, the, the authority, the power that we have can manifest without any hindrance. It's the atmosphere for the miraculous. So we're going to take a break. We're going to put on a worship song, powerful worship song that declares everything that we're going to talk about tonight about the power of praise. So let's um, that God spoke to me. This was in September. So um, for those of you who don't already know this, I was diagnosed with a different form of cancer on September the 10th. And God gave me this word on September the 16th. We were at church right here at Rochester, and we sang that song. We were worshiping with that song. And as we were in the middle of worship, God gave me a picture. And the picture that he gave me was a flag. And on that flag, it reminded me a lot of what we were seeing in September, in the fall, of all of the political flags. And the flags that my eyes were on were the ones that said, Trump, Pence, 2020. And they were all over the place, right? Well, that's what this looked like, but it didn't say Trump, Pence, 2020. It said, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Rapha, 2020. Now, I had just gotten that diagnosis. And... When I saw this flag, and I, I'm, I've been putting the best that I can, because I'm not an artist. I've been drawing in my journal. And so I drew this flag the best that I could. It says Jehovah um, Nisi and Jehovah Rapha. And so I, I said, God, help me to understand this. So I went and I did some study, some Bible study, on those two names of God, which I already knew, but I didn't know when they originated in the Bible, when they were first spoken, those names for God in the Bible. Jehovah Nisi means the Lord is my banner. And the first time that it was, um, that this name of God was spoken in the Bible was in Exodus 17. And this is what I wrote in my journal. It says the battle that was going on in this, in this Exodus 17 was not won by military might or by superior battle plans. It was won by the power of God. The battle is the Lord's. So here you are, here I am. And this is what I don't do. God has taught me over the years not to try to figure stuff out, not to try to put together my own battle plan, but to let him be my battle plan, my number one, my source. And I, I did a little bit more research on this. And what I learned was back then in, in those days of those battles, Soldiers fought under the flags of the insignia of their country. They, flew, they fought. There was a flag that went with the battle, the, 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 the army 
there was a, a flag. Well, the flag that God showed me said Jehovah Nisi. We are under the, the battle plan of our king and our kingdom, and it's the kingdom of God. That's where we're at. By the way, my middle name is Lou. Yes, I'm Cindy Lou. <laughs> the word, my name Lou, means renowned warrior. And as God was just unveiling this all to me, this battle plan, that it's his battle, it's not mine, that we're, we are in, under the, the insignia of our, of our kingdom, the kingdom of God. And yeah, I'm a renowned warrior in that kingdom. And this is how I fight, through praise, through worship. The name Jehovah Rapha, we know means God who heals. Most of us know God who heals. But listen to this. I didn't know this. Um, immediately, this is when it was first spoken of. This is the first time that Jehovah Rapha was spoken of in the Bible. Immediately after God healed the waters of the bitter waters of Mara, he identified himself as the God who heals. This healing of the water demonstrates God's power to overcome any impurity, any contamination, or any corruption. It doesn't matter whether it's in your physical body or your soul, or in the world. <laughs> God is the one that heals impurity, contamination, and corruption. I feel like I want to stop right now and pray for stuff in your body that is not supposed to be there, like yeast, yeast infections, like um, um, bacteria that is growing out of order that is corrupting your systems. I'm going to speak to that right now. I speak right now to bodies. God, you are the God who heals. You are the God who cleanses, purifies, and heals. He's been speaking that over me. Cleansing, purifying, and healing. So I speak over you, whether it is a, a, a emotional issue, whether it is a physical issue in your gut. I feel like this is a gut thing. Um, um, in your intestines or maybe in your stomach. I speak to that right now, and I speak complete healing. God, you are Jehovah Rapha. You are the God that purifies, that cleanses, and that heals. So I speak to bacteria that is out of order, that is multiplying way too much. I speak to any chaotic growth of cells, and that includes cancer. I speak to any cancer, any chaotic growth of cells, and I speak purifying cleansing and healing. I speak over uh, overabundance of yeast, yeast infections, candida, C. diff, anything like that. I speak healing and restoration in the mighty holy name of Jesus. I speak over the soul. I speak over um, fear that is bubbling up and running over and taking you over. I speak over fear that feels like it is um, suffocating you. I speak over fear that feels like it is heavy on your chest, like you can't even breathe. I command it to go in Jesus' name. And I declare that our Jehovah Rapha cleans up contamination, including contamination of lies of the enemy. So I say lie of fear, deception of fear. I command you to let your people go. Let the people go in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jehovah Rapha, right now for your words 
that are going forth. There is power in agreeing with God. There is power in speaking as Holy Spirit leads. So I thank you for that, Father. Healing, healing and restoration. I'm going to go back to my journal. Jehovah Rapha heals physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Neither impurity of the body or soul can withstand the purifying, healing power of Jehovah Rapha. So we have Jehovah Nisi, our banner, Jehovah Rapha, our God who heals. 2020, now we're in 2021. He gave me this, this, you know, a few days after I was diagnosed with what the world says is something really scary. I'm not the least bit intimidated because I have an amazing God, big God, a most high God. Okay. Go to, we're going to go to your notes now. The first thing I want to talk about before we even get into the power of praise as a spiritual warfare, the first thing I want to talk about is when we praise and the enemy flees and there's no longer opposition, that's when the anointing, the power of the Holy Spirit can easily, freely, Destroy the yoke, whatever that yoke is. And I'm going to give you biblical evidence right now that you have that anointing, that Jesus was the first one that carried that anointing, but we now are commissioned to join right in. So let me give you some amazing teaching about the anointing. Um, I want to read Isaiah 10, verse 27. It shall come to pass in that day. First of all, I should have said this. This is a prophetic word. It was written before Jesus hundreds of years, like six, seven hundred years before Jesus was even born. And this is a prophecy about Jesus. It shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder. This is referring to the enemy. It's not referring to Jesus. The anointing is, we're going to read that in the second part of the scripture. But this burden, it says his burden, it's lowercase h, his burden, the burden of the enemy, the oppression of the enemy, shall be taken off of your shoulder and his yoke from off of your neck. And the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Let me define those words, yoke. This is the yoke of destruction, the yoke of the enemy. Symbol of slavery, servanthood. Forced subjection, burden, load, oppression, bondage to sin. All of that rolled into one big ugly package. The oppression of the enemy, the yoke of the enemy. The promise here said that in, in that day, it shall come to pass. And that yoke, that stupid yoke of the enemy shall be destroyed. Listen to what destroyed means. Sometimes our English words aren't big enough. They're not powerful enough. Listen to what destroyed means, because this is what Jesus did with his anointing. It means absolutely corrupted beyond use. The devil's power, the devil's burden, the yoke of fear, the yoke of pain, the yoke of sickness has been absolutely corrupted beyond use. Do you see why I'm excited? 
absolutely corrupted beyond use, completely ruined, broken, destroyed, and bound. And that all came to pass through the anointing of Christ. That's what this was prophesying. In that day, it shall come to pass. That means it's done. It's, it's completed. The anointing of Jesus the Christ destroyed the yoke of the oppression of the enemy. Now let's go and look at the word, and I'm going to prove it to you. Acts 10, verse 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. The anointing of Jesus healed all who were oppressed by the devil. Sickness is not from God. God loves us. He doesn't give sickness. Yes, sickness is part of the fallen world that we live in. Yes, the enemy is still in this world. He is defeated, but he has not yet been destroyed yet. So, yes, he's a deceiver. He's still here. We're going to talk more about that later. But the point is, the anointing of Jesus did good. Jesus. Jesus was the one whom was prophesied in the Old Testament as the Messiah. Jesus was the Messiah. That's the Hebrew name, the Hebrew word, not a name, the Hebrew word that tells who Jesus was and is. In the New Testament, the word that described Jesus was Christ. Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, they have the exact same meaning. One's Hebrew, one's um, Greek, but they have the same meaning, and this is the meaning. Jesus the anointed one. Jesus, the one who carried the anointing, and that anointing was the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was a man. He was completely, fully man. But there were two things that distinguished him from all other humans, all humanity, two characteristics. The first is that unlike everybody else, he had no sin he was like man in every way except without sin. He had no sin to separate him from his father. All of humanity, until Jesus conquered sin, had a sin barrier that separated us from God. But Jesus didn't. So that was his first distinction as a man. The second was the Holy Spirit. The second was that he had the anointing. That's what we're talking about right now, the anointing that destroyed the yoke. He had the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But he didn't just have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He was completely dependent on the Holy Spirit for everything that he did. You know the scripture that says he only did what he saw his father do. He only said what he heard his father say. And that was revealed to him through the Holy Spirit. He didn't even minister. He didn't even teach. He didn't even perform miracles until after he had the Holy Spirit. He was approximately 30 years old. Um, he was baptized in water by John the Baptist. When he came out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended upon him. After that, he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. He spent 40 days in prayer and fasting. He was overcoming the, the oppression of the enemy that was coming to attack him during those 40 days in the desert. 
And when he came out of the wilderness, he came endued with the power from on high, from the Holy Spirit. And that's when his ministry started. That's when the, the scripture was fulfilled that said, I am anointed to um, heal the sick, to, um, I'm, I'm not quoting it very well, but it's Isaiah 61. I'm anointed to free the captives, to heal the brokenhearted, to release captives from captivity and prisoners from prison. And then right after he spoke that prophetic word, he said, today this was fulfilled in me. And then he went about, and that's when his miracle and healing ministry and his teaching ministry and the authority that he carried, that's when it all came to life. Because he had the Holy Spirit, and he was dependent on the Holy Spirit. 1 John 3, verse 8 says, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. The anointing destroys the yoke. So Jesus walked on this earth approximately three years during this ministry, during this time of carrying out his messianic rule. That's, I've, I've skipped this, but let me back up for a second. The definition of anoint, there's two. I'm going to read one of them now and the second one later. And this is based on Strong's concordance of this word that was translated from the Greek. This is what it means. To anoint, it's a verb. It means consecration and furnishing with the necessary powers for the administration of the messianic office. Jesus was furnished. He was endued with the power that he needed to carry out the administration of the messianic office. And this scripture right here gives us part of what that administration contained. He came to destroy the works of the devil. But he walked on this earth for three years before he actually defeated the devil. He was in the process of showing us the heart of God, showing us the will of God. But after he died, when he died, he literally destroyed completely the dominion and the power of the devil over humanity if we accept the gift, if we accept the sacrifice. So let me read this scripture to you. This is Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. I really recommend this week that during your Bible reading, you read all of Colossians chapter 2 because it really goes into depth. I'm reading from the Passion Translation right now at home, and that's why you're hearing a lot of Passion stuff here. If you don't have the Passion, go on BibleGateway.com and read this chapter. Oh, it's amazing. What Jesus accomplished for us, it's amazing. Listen to this one verse, verse 15. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness. That is the, that's Satan in his demonic realm. He made a public spectacle of them, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around, the enemy, the, the principalities and powers. He led them around, around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. They thought they got away, the devil thought they got away with killing 
the Messiah. But oh, no, 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 no. The opposite happened. He defeated the devil. The devil didn't defeat him. This is the study notes from my Bible. Listen to this. This scripture, this, this word, implies that between the day of crucifixion and the day of resurrection, while in the spirit realm, Jesus destroyed death. He destroyed the powers of darkness. He destroyed every work of the enemy through the blood of the cross. All the enemy's weapons have been stripped away from him. And now the church, that's you and I, the church has authority in Christ to enforce this triumph upon the dethroned rulers of this world. Amen. And that's good news. We are now seated in Christ at the right hand of God. This is what God's been speaking to me. I wasn't planning on sharing this, but, but I have to. This is one of the scriptures I've been meditating on. It's part of Psalm 91. He says, I will set you on high. That's in Psalm 91 at the end. He says, Cindy, because you love me, because you trust me, because you understand who I am, you, because, because you know me. He gives all these amazing promises. And this is one of them. He says, I will set you on high. And this is what he's been speaking to me. And this is for you too. This is scriptural. He says, come, Cindy, sit at my right hand in Christ while I make your enemies your footstool. Yeah. So put your name in the blank. My daughter, my son, come. Sit at my right hand in Christ while I make your enemies, while I make your enemies your footstool. And that literally means the enemy is reduced under my power. Yeah. So what is the, what is the enemy attacking you with? Is it pain? Is it a diagnosis? Is it, in my case, a diagnosis of cancer? Oh, God says, Cindy, come here, come here, come here. Come here. Come on, sit right here in Jesus, because that's where I am. I'm in him. So are you. I am in him, and he's in me. And he says, come right up here. I set you on high, right next to my throne in Christ. And I am making, and it's present ongoing tense. It's present participle. So no matter what is attacking you yesterday, today, tomorrow, he says, I am making the enemy your footstool under your feet, under your power. The enemy is under your power, Cindy. And that's true for you too. And that leads me to my next point. There's a question on your paper. It says, what about you? We just talked about Jesus. We just talked about his anointing that destroys the yoke. What about you? What about me? Well, here's an amazing truth. It's on your paper. So you can go and you can chew on this all week. We have now, now as children of God, we have the same distinctions in humanity that Jesus has that Jesus had and has. Now, now, there is no sin barrier that separates us from our Father. If you've received Jesus as your Savior, if you believe with all your heart in Jesus that he lived for you, that he died for you, 
that he was the son of God, that he was resurrected from the dead. If you believe with all your heart, if you've relinquished your heart to him and said, I can't do life on my own, I don't want to do life on my own, I give you my heart, God. I invite you into my life. I surrender. When we do that, all sin is forgiven. You no longer have the dominion of sin, the power of sin, the effect of sin. It's no longer there. It's gone. That barrier is gone. So there is now no more separation between you and your father. That's the same distinction as Jesus. Not because of us being perfect, but because of the blood sacrifice that paid for our sins, that took the judgment that we deserved. So that's the first distinction. The second distinction is that we, too, have the Holy Spirit. Now, I have done a five-part teaching on the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I've done a five-part teaching called Living in the Fullness of the Holy Spirit. The problem is, and I don't have time to teach it or even talk about it tonight, but the problem is many of us don't know what we have. We have the Holy Spirit if we've received the fullness of the Holy Spirit. When we're saved, we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. But there is another uh, precious gift called the baptism of the Holy Spirit where we are endued with power from on high. It happened originally at Pentecost, but the promise of the Holy Spirit is for all of us. And it's given upon believing and receiving, just like everything else that God has for us. So here's the question. It's a million-dollar question. If we have this baptism of the Holy Spirit, the power that we are endued with on high, are we doing what Jesus did? Are we dependent, completely dependent on the Spirit? Now, I know none of us are as dependent as Jesus, but that's my heart's desire is to grow in dependency, to grow in discernment, to grow in moving in, in, as he shows me and speaking as he gives me the, the words to speak. Because when we do, we have the authority and the power, the anointing that destroys the yoke. So let me give you, the, oh, before I do that, good thing I have notes in front of me. Um, Jesus was called the Christ, right? We're Christians. The word Christian, the name Christian that we carry, is the same meaning as Jesus the Christ, except it means little Christ. Christian means little Christ. We are anointed. Christ means anointed one. We are also anointed ones. So now let's go back to that meaning of the word anoint. The first meaning I already shared with you, the consecration and furnishing with the necessary powers for the administration of the messianic office. The second meaning is in doing Christians with the power of the Holy Spirit to carry on the mission of Christ. That's who we are. We're commissioned. Commission means with Jesus to carry on his mission. And this is my simple way of, de of de telling you what Christ's mission is. It's twofold. Advancing the kingdom of God 
and defeating the kingdom of darkness, enforcing the defeat of the kingdom of darkness. He's already been defeated. We just need to enforce it. So now we're getting to worship. Our anointing that we have, that I have, that you have, destroys the yoke of the enemy. And one of the most powerful ways we can do that is through praise and worship. Enemy doesn't like that. I'm going to read a quote from Andrew Womack's book. This is what he says. Every single trick Satan has for believers is designed to keep us from praising and worshiping God. If the enemy can get us to stop praising God, then we've taken a step away from God, away from God's plan, purpose, and power for us, and we've taken a step towards the enemy's illegal power, which is called oppression of the enemy, and we're buying into his junk if we don't praise God, if we step back from praising God. I'm going to talk. I'm going to give you two little pieces that really aren't little. They're huge. Here's the first one. We give Satan way too much credit. Satan doesn't even have spiritual perception. I do because I have the Holy Spirit. The enemy doesn't. He can't understand spiritual things. But he's a master of deception. He is a master of deception. And the enemy has deceived people. I've spoken the same thing in the last two weeks. I'm going to say it again. The enemy has deceived people into believing that when bad stuff happens, trials, tribulations, diagnosis, pain, symptoms, etc., whatever it is, the enemy has deceived us into believing that when all of that happens, God, Jesus even said, there will be trials and tribulations. But he said, be of good cheer because I have overcome the enemy. I've overcome them. But the problem is, humanity, the, the world default, is when those things happen, we allow the negative emotions to take over. We even feed them and foster them by, by um, thinking the negative, speaking the negative, um, worrying, worrying, worrying. And we don't praise God because of all of those negative emotions. The word that God had for us last week is he said, you need to take those emotions and look at them like the spiritual plague that they are. We're in the middle of a worldwide pandemic, and it's all over the news. It's talked about all the time. People, it's in our face, this, spirit, this, this natural pandemic, this natural plague. God is telling us there's a spiritual plague, and it's these negative emotions. And because of those negative emotions, many of us don't praise because we've got fear, we've got um, anxiety, we've got... Um, depression and all that stuff, and it kind of holds us back. Here's the truth. Praise is not based on emotions. Praise is not an emotional thing. Praise is an act of our will. It is a choice. And it is up to us to choose to praise. Praise is given to us in Scripture. God gives us direction to praise. He doesn't say praise when you feel like praising. He says praise continually. Let your heart, let your mouth speak praise to him continually. It says rejoice in the Lord always. 
And again, I say rejoice. We have a choice to rule over our emotions. We do. And praising God has nothing to do with emotions. It's an act of the will. We are to praise God because God's word says to praise him. Now, friends, I'm practicing what I'm preaching. There have been times over the last months where I haven't felt like praising. Guess what I do? That's when I run in praise. When fear is trying to attack me, when my body's hurting, when those thoughts are trying to capture me and come in my brain and settle down and take up residence and stir, 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 stir. That's when I say no. And I run. I run to God. And this is what I do. I put earbuds in because I have to have that music so close to my, my brain that there can't be any distance. I can't be on a speaker on the other side of the room. It needs to be in my ears. And I lift my heart and, my, and my, my love and my words to God. And something happens in here. That fear dissipates. That symptom usually goes away. And even if it doesn't, it doesn't seem so big anymore. Praise is a powerful, powerful tool. So we give the enemy too darn much credit. And the second thing we do is we give him too much attention. One of the reasons we're attacked so much is because we're putting our eyes on the enemy. We're talking to him. We're fighting him. We're keeping our face, our eyes, our attention on him. Our attention is so much on the devil that we're more aware of his power than we are God's power. We spend more time fighting with the devil than we do with God. I have a quick testimony about a girl that's on our Monday night ministry team. Her name's Yvonne Stevenson. Yvonne was healed of cancer about, I don't know, 10 years ago or so. When she came to this meeting, she didn't know about Jesus the healer. She started to learn about Jesus the healer, and she was filling her soul and being a doer of the word. But then she got a really huge attack of the enemy. The, the situation was uh, an experience that was just very, very sad. Um, she lives in a, a close-knit neighborhood, and there was a serious accident, and there was a father who accidentally ran over his two-year-old son and killed him. And when that happened, Yvonne's faith was shipwrecked. She saw that experience, and she was questioning God. She was questioning her own faith. She was questioning the God of healing. She was, and that's a good question, by the way. I addressed that question in our Bible study. It's a good question. But here's the bottom line. We can't base our theology on experience. The devil is the one that comes to seal, kill, and destroy. We need to base our theology on the word of God, the promises of God, the love of God, the truth of God, the faithfulness of God. And sometimes our experience, and a lot of times, experiences don't line up with the word. But that doesn't mean we change our theology. No, 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 no. We base our theology on what we do know. We go back to what we do know. But Yvonne was a baby, and she didn't know that. So she, is, she did know this much. She did know that the enemy was attacking her, and she was in fear. Yes, that was traumatic. And yes, her heart was breaking for this family. But she was also being attacked with fear for her situation that she was walking through. So she started fighting the best that she knew how. She started, you know, t uh, resisting the enemy and saying, get away from me, and I rebuke you, and 
I, you know, command you to leave and everything she knew to do in spiritual warfare. And then God spoke to her and whispered in her heart. And he said, you're spending more time with the devil than you are with me. You see, her attention shifted. Instead of her attention on God and his goodness and his promises, her attention was on the devil and his badness and his stealing and his killing and his destroying. So when she heard that, she said, okay, okay, I have a new strategy. So she did what I just told you. She put earbuds in her ears. Her kids helped her fill an iPod with praise and worship music, with scriptural promises from the word, and with good, powerful teaching of the word of God. She put those earbuds in her ears, and she listened six to eight hours a day. She was at home. She was going through treatment. She had kids in school. She was a stay-at-home mom. She had a lot of time. She changed her tactics, and she listened, and she put in her earbuds God instead of the devil. She changed her focus, and fear left. Fear was broken off. She was built up spiritually. She had that precious, powerful peace that passes all understanding. She defeated fear. She defeated cancer. She overcame evil with good. And to this day, she is strong. She is healthy. She is whole. She's on our ministry team. She is a mighty, mighty woman of God. She's on our Monday night team, so you can't see her tonight. Come Monday, you can meet Yvonne. So we give Satan too much attention. The truth is, and here's power, praise, praise and worship gives us strength. And it is powerful to still the enemy and the avenger. And as we keep our minds stayed on the Lord and his word through active and constant praise and worship, no matter how we feel, then the Lord keeps us in perfect peace. And that, friends, is our immunization against the spiritual plague. Praise and worship. That's our vaccination. Right now, they're talking about the vaccination for the pandemic, for the COVID thing. This is our vaccination for the spiritual plague of whatever the enemy is trying to get you to, to, to buy. And it might be a doctor's diagnosis. I'm not saying it's not factual. But what I am saying is there's a promise that trumps it. Amen. Satan loses his power when God's people begin to praise. This is on your sheet. Praise releases God's power and strength to still the enemy. Satan loses his power when God's people begin to praise. Praise will drive Satan and his deception away. And that includes fear. That includes anxiety. That includes um, uh, uh, worry. That includes confusion. Praise drives that away. And when the enemies is absent when the opposition is no longer there. That's when the anointing that we spent all that time talking about, that's when that anointing is free without hindrance to be to come and to manifest itself. <laughs> I get excited. I literally get excited. As I'm praising and worshiping, I know, friends, that I'm healed. Past tense. Doctor's report doesn't say it yet, but I know it. And I literally, just like I am now, I'm loud when I praise. I am, my study's only this big. So I've kind of branched out when Ken's not there. <laughs> I'm up and down the halls. I'm in the living room. I am running up and down, excited, 
praising God because I know the end of the story. I was healed. So I get excited. I get excited knowing that the manifestation of the power of God is working mightily. The anointing is there. The power of spirit is doing his thing. I don't know how it's working, but I know it's working. Okay. So what I'm going to do now, I'm going to share three scriptures. And there are so many. I want to give evidence that the enemy is, is <laughs> smushed when we praise. I want to give you biblical evidence, not just my words. I want to give you biblical evidence. So the first scripture I'm going to give you is a ra- one of my rhema words for this season. It's on my sheet with all my scriptures. And God gave me this before I got the diagnosis. <clears throat> and the reason it just went aha in my heart is because one of the things, can't we go to the next scripture? One of the things that this scripture says is that I will jump for joy and shout with praise to my God. What, honey? Yeah, that's the one. I'm sorry. I guess you already had it up there. It's verse 2. I will jump for joy and shout in triumph. Well, the reason that rang in my heart is because um, the, the cancer that I'm fighting Um, I had a lot of pain in my back. The reason I had a lot of pain in my back is because I had a tumor on the lower part of my um, um, lumbar vertebrae, and it was compressing my spine. And the things that I loved to do that I was able to do, little by little by little, I couldn't do them. And one of the things I couldn't do was any kind of impact, like jumping or dancing or um, jogging, even gently. I couldn't do any of that. So I took that word, and I said, I will jump for joy, devil. (laughs) You watch me. This is before I even had the diagnosis. And guys, my body is so well. I can literally feel my body healing day by day by day by day. I can't 100% jump, but I can do everything else, and I can jump a little bit. (laughs) I keep testing it. I'm careful because I don't want to hurt anything in there, but getting better. So that's why this word just came alive to me. It's all about praise and worship. Lord, I will worship you. Notice it says, I will. It's my choice. It's an act of my will. Lord, I will worship you with extended hands as my whole heart explodes with praise. I will tell everyone everywhere about your wonderful works and how marvelous your mir- how, how your marvelous miracles exceed expectations. I will jump for joy and shout in triumph as I sing your song and make music for the Most High God. For when you appear, God, I worship while all of my enemies run in retreat. They stumble and they perish before your presence. Oh, I love this word. I praise God with this all the time, every day. And when I do, the whole scripture is alive in my heart because it starts out with saying, God, I praise you with all my heart. My whole heart explodes with praise. And then it goes into the part, yeah, God, I I will jump for joy and shout in triumph. And then it says, Oh, as I praise you, God, you're here. You're in my presence. The Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. And it says, my enemies, oh, they will run and retreat and they will stumble and they will fall. I will glorify you, God. I will share this testimony. I will tell everyone 
everywhere about your marvelous miracles. And I believe that's one of the reasons why he so strongly put it on my heart to be transparent during this season about what he's doing in, in me and through me. Because I already have the testimony. I am so absolutely sure of the doctor's report that says no disease. I am so sure. That's like non-issue. But what is powerful right now is how he is just, oh my gosh, just doing everything that I need and being there. He's faithful. And that's why I want to share everything every step of the way. That's what the scripture says. So about, I don't know, a couple months ago, because September is when I was diagnosed and it's now January. So it was a couple months ago. I was doing just what I just did, just praising God and worshiping and meditating on the scripture. And I had this vivid picture. And the picture was of a bowling ball going down the lane, straight as can be, hitting the 10 pins. And this, this vision didn't just have a picture, it had sound. And I heard and I saw the bowling pins just crash and they flew everywhere. I, I've been declaring this while I worship my enemies run and retreat. They stumble and they perish before your presence. And when I saw those bowling pins, it's like, that's the enemy. That's the enemy. The bowling ball just crash and there he's being just trampled and thrown all over and destroyed. He's confused. He's like broken up. Cancer in my body is disintegrated and broken up and washed out. You know, just that's, that was my heart, right? And it was kind of funny. I mean, and this is why it was funny. I am the probably worst bowler in the world. When we were first married, early on in our marriage, we were in two different bowling leagues. So I bowled three times a month. Two, on one of them, we bowled one, twice a month. and the other league, we bowled once a month. It didn't matter. My ball never did that. My ball went in this gutter or that gutter or this gutter or that gutter. I could not roll that thing down the middle at all. I was terrible. Kent said, Kent's dad said, how can anybody bowl that bad? That's what he said about me. So when God gave me this picture, <laughs> bowling ball, it was just, I literally was in my study and I started laughing out loud. I drew it in my journal, terrible artist that I am. I drew the bowling balls flying all over because it just tickled me. So anyway, for this teaching, I went on YouTube and I found a video, a little bitty short video. I can't find the picture. Kent's going to play it right now. Turn the volume up. They have to hear it, not just see it. Yeah, that's it. That's the devil, guys. Put your own story in that picture and see the devil just being crashed. Um, go back to the scripture one more time, Ken. I want to read that last part one more time before we go to the next one. For when you appear, God, I worship. While all my enemies run in retreat, they stumble and they perish before your presence. Hallelujah. Okay, can you skip that, the bowling frame and go to the next? Good job. Okay, Psalm 18, verses 1 through 3. Lord, I love you fervently and devotedly, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and the one who rescues me. 
my God, my rock and strength in whom I trust and take refuge. He's my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. So whatever's coming against you, that's our promise. But notice verse one, verse two, verse beginning of part three, it's all about our most high God, our great God, putting our eyes on who he is. When I praise him, when I see him for who he is, I am saved from my enemies. And the last, the third scripture I want to share is Psalm 149. Again, this is from the Passion Translation. This one is amazing. It's all about praise and worship and the power, the spiritual weapon, the spiritual warfare. Break forth with dancing. Make music and sing God's praises with the rhythm of drums. For he enjoys his faithful lovers. He, endures, he adorns the humble with his beauty. And he loves to give them victory. Guys, he loves it. He loves to give you victory. His godly lovers triumph in the glory of God. And their joyful praises will rise even while others sleep. Notice as this talks about radical praise shouting, dancing, instruments, the words victory and triumph are right there in the midst. And now comes the spiritual warfare. God's high and holy praises fill their mouths, for they shouted, for their shouted praises are the weapons of war. Next verse. These warring weapons will bring vengeance on every opposing force and every resistant power. Wow. To bind kings with chains and rulers with iron shackles. To bind panic attacks. To bind fear. To bind pain and symptoms. To bind the destructive words that have been spoken over you. Whatever it is. Praise and worship are warring weapons that will bring vengeance on every opposing force and every resistant power. Next verse, praise-filled warriors. That's me, guys. That's you if you choose to be there. Praise-filled warriors will enforce the judgment doom decreed against their enemies. This is the glorious honor he gives to all his godly lovers. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So this praise that I'm talking about, this effective praise, coupled with the word of God, the spoken word of God, we're going to be, that's next week's topic. Together, that's how we execute vengeance and judgment upon our enemy, the devil. This is key. Don't wait for your circumstances to change before you praise God. Because praising God is what will change your circumstances. I'm going to read one more account. This is the account. I love this one. It's from 2 Chronicles chapter 20. This is the account, one of the, there's several accounts in the Bible where the power of praise is what wins the battle. And this is a powerful one. There's also the wall of Jericho. That's another one. And the third one that I'm aware of is when Silas and um, I think it's Paul are in prison. And they are praising and worshiping God. 
There's, there's three, there's probably more, but this is the one I want to focus on tonight. So let me give you a little bit of background. In this um, account, true account, this isn't just a story, this is a true account. There were three um, armies that were coming against the good king Jehoshaphat. The three um, um, armies were Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. They had no right to come against this nation because of something that God had um, um, promised way back when they first entered the promised land. And Jehoshaphat took that to God, and he says, oh, no, no, this isn't, this isn't right. But anyway, um, they were. They were coming against Jehoshaphat and his, in his kingdom. But Jehoshaphat knew there was no way he could win. He was outnumbered. So the first thing he did was he set himself to seek the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. Then he gathered the people together, and together they prayed. And this is what he spoke. Oh, God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that's coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Does that sound like you? Where you have been in a place, where I've been in a place, where the multitude, where the battle that's coming against us is too big. There's no way we can win. I've been there. I, I, I've been there. In fact, I'm there right now. Doesn't matter. The first thing to do is to do what Jehoshaphat did. It's not on that, on, that, on that screen. But he said, God, will you not judge them? And I'm going to put myself, for I have no power against the, the, this problem that's coming against me. I don't know what to do. But God, my eyes are on you. I trust you. And when Jehoshaphat prayed that prayer, God spoke through a prophet. And this is what he said. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go up against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jerul. So God's telling him exactly what's going to happen. It's a word of knowledge. Listen to this news. God says, you will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, for the Lord is with you. God says the same thing to us. He says, this battle's not yours, it's mine. Don't be afraid, don't be dismayed. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the fullness of my salvation. Just stand back and watch and see how I'm going to do this. And then, this is how Jehoshaphat responded. He bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed their heads before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Korathites and of the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. So here they were. They had a multitude coming against them. There's no way that they could win. But God spoke a promise. Even though it was too good to be true, even though it was way out of what they could believe or understand or, or have any conceptual understanding of, they praised him. They thanked him. They said, we don't get it, God, but we praise you and we worship you. And then the next day, they rose up early in the morning. They went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood. He's their leader. He's their king. And this is what he said. 
Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe, believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. So he's saying, okay, we have a promise. Believe it. Try not to get your brain in the midst of how this is going to all go down. Just believe the promise. He says that to you and me, guys. We don't need to understand it. We don't need to know the answer or the how or the why. God says, I've given you a promise. Believe me. And then Jehoshaphat had been given a direction. He said, you don't have to fight. Just stand still. So this is what he did. When he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. So King Jehoshaphat had this big, well, not as big as the multitude, but he had an army. He didn't send his warriors on the front line. He sent his praisers. He probably had that banner, that Jehovah Nisi banner, the insignia of the army. And the people that followed were the praisers and the worshipers. Because God said, you're not going to have to fight. He didn't even put his warriors in the front. And this is what happened. Now, when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah. And they were defeated. The name Judah means praise. The name Judah means praise. The enemies, all those armies, all those enemies came against praise. And they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and all they saw were dead bodies. No one had escaped. Confusion. Praise causes the enemy to be confused. Praise causes the enemy to get messed up. He can't do what he wanted to do. There's a little box on your paper. These are just nuggets, rich nuggets. We don't have to spend all our time rebuking and casting down every possible thing that could come against us. Jehoshaphat's army didn't even have to fight. Our best defense is a good offense. As we praise and worship God, the enemy flees in terror, and the anointing of God is manifest. If you want to torment the devil, start praising God. If you want to confuse the devil... Start praising God. If you want to stop the attacks of the devil, start praising God. I have a short testimony I want to share, and then we're going to praise God. Um, those of you who have been with Pastor Tim many, many years probably were there when this happened. Uh, it was back in the Discover Church, the little white church in Utica. There was a man named Bob. And um, Bob um, had been under the, the ministry of Pastor Tim. And Pastor Tim knew the power of praise. We praised. We worshiped. And Pastor Tim taught why we praise and why we worship. So Bob had, he was home alone. He's a single man. And he started having um, uh, symptoms of a heart attack. Strong pain in his chest and 
big symptoms of a heart attack. He called his daughter, told her what was happening. His daughter called an ambulance. The ambulance was on his way to his house. The daughter was on his way to his house. The first thing he did was unlock the front door so the ambulance could come in. And then he went and turned on praise worship, praise and worship music. In the midst of the symptoms of a heart attack, he started praising God. He didn't feel like praising God. His body was hurting. Ken had a heart attack on Christmas, last Christmas, not this past Christmas, but the Christmas before. Believe me, I was declaring the word and I was praying in tongues, but I don't remember singing and praising God on the way to the hospital. But that's what this guy did. He praised and he worshiped. The ambulance came. He was still cognizant. He was still not passed out. They took him to the hospital in the ambulance, um, um, got there. They started doing every test they do to test your heart and see what's going on. And this is what they found. He had been in the midst of a heart attack, but it was spontaneously aborted. That's a testimony of the power of praise and worship to stop the enemy in his tracks. Praise is so powerful. 